Uh, so Deuteronomy, or excuse me, Numbers uh, chapter 28 here, uh, where we've just seen that uh, the mandate went out. Um, the Lord told Moses that he was going to pass away, not enter the promised land with the people. And uh, then Moses gave this expression of concern for the nation of Israel, that they would have a leader, Joshua, as the shepherd to replace him. And uh, now we come to the Lord speaking to Moses about the daily sacrifices, Numbers chapter 28, verse 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel and say to them, My offering, my food for my offerings made by fire, as a sweet aroma to me. Remember that he said that. You shall be careful to offer to me at their appointed time. And you shall say to them, This is the offering made by fire, which you shall offer to the Lord. Two male lambs in their first year without blemish, day by day, as a regular burnt offering. The one lamb you shall offer in the morning, the other lamb you shall offer in the evening. Now, uh, it's an obvious symbol and reflection of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, and the fact that uh, it is to be offered morning and evening is an indicator, again, that our sin is continuous. Well, you know, we often have a very different perception of ourselves, and the truth of the matter is uh, we're sinful people, and we're in need of God's grace and his forgiveness, and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which this symbolizes continuously, constantly. So in the morning, the other in the evening, verse 5, and one-tenth of an ephah, a fine flour as a grain offering mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil. It is a regular burnt offering, which was ordained at Mount Sinai for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. And its drink offering shall be one-fourth of a hin for each lamb. In a holy place you shall pour out the drink to the Lord as an offering the other lamb you shall offer in the evening as the morning grain offering and its drink offering. You shall offer it as an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. So three times in that passage, a sweet aroma to the Lord. Uh, we look at this and, um, you know, you can just think of it as, you know, the Old Testament sacrifices. But if you put that in a modern terminology, there's a tremendous cost involved in all of this. And you could take the approach of saying, you know, that's you know quite a waste. Why, why are we burning this up? Why isn't it being put to use? Why, why aren't we feeding the hungry? Why aren't we caring for other people in their needs? Uh, this is exactly what Judas said. Okay, The uh, offering was made to Jesus Christ of the perfume, and Jesus tells us that it was uh, in preparation for his burial, and we find out from John that Judas, they discovered after his death, had been stealing from the ministry the entire time that he was apparently the treasurer. He kept the books for the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he was taking from it the whole time. The offering made to the Lord blesses the Lord. 
It's a sweet aroma to him. He recognizes the sacrifice. He understands what it is to give. You consider Jesus there watching the offerings being given, and he makes the comparison between the rich man who comes in and blows the trumpet so that everyone will take notice of his offering, and then they pour out out of these big containers all of these coins into the coffers of the temple. And then the woman comes in and puts in two mites. And the comparison from our perspective, seeing that, is that her offering was so much smaller. And the obvious understanding is she gave everything she had. Okay, Whereas the person who had given you know, these great containers filled with coins, and the way it's described seems to be saying they'd actually gone through the process of converting it into a bunch of coins when they could have just brought in, you know, a large donation in a small amount. They converted it so that it was a great number of coins, very visible for everyone to see. The percentage is what we're talking about. You know, if someone's incredibly wealthy, then they're giving 1%. Whereas this widow in that situation who comes in and gives, you know, basically one penny is giving 100% of what she has. The Lord recognizes the great effort that's being made. We, we don't view things the way that the Lord views things. He understands to a people that are offering this daily to him, it can become the idea of, oh, this is just so mundane. This is so repetitive. Every week we do this. Every day we do this. Couldn't we be putting this to better use? Something that keeps your focus on worship, on your relationship with God, is above value. You making your focus the Lord. You know How many times have we been in a place where we had great abundance and we drift away from the Lord because we aren't in need of his provision. You know, when we are just getting by, when it is hand to mouth, the recognition of, I am in need and Lord, please. Oh, and here is the answer. That relationship there is so much more. When, when your finger is on the pulse of your relationship with the Lord, the Lord will do that to us. When, when he recognizes the drift, when he recognizes that we're not as sensitive as we need, he will allow that situation in our lives. In verse 9, on the Sabbath day, two lambs in their first year without blemish, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flowers, a grain offering mixed with oil, and its drink offering, and this, the burnt offering, for every Sabbath, besides the regular burnt offerings with its drink offering. The idea is a meal, okay? And again, uh, the picture the Lord is painting is that he is in fellowship with us, right? If, if you put several things together and invite someone over for dinner and they sit down, then you have that sense of being in fellowship. If you just hand somebody a raw steak and say, go home and enjoy that. You know, you might even appreciate the steak, but the friendship and the fellowship is not as connective. And the Lord wants this sense of a meal in these offerings and the fellowship, you know, the atonement, we've talked about that many times, right? At one meant, God wants our relationship to be that bound together. 
If we're sitting here this morning and we're thinking like, oh, this is all way over my head. <laughs> Not into this. Don't get it. Well, maybe there's the proof text, right? Of how distant we are from God. And it should check our heart. Verse 11, at the beginning of your months, you present a burnt offering to the Lord, two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil. For each bull, two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour as a grain offering mixed with oil. For the one ram, the one-tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for each lamb, as a burnt offering of sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Their drink offering shall be half a hin of wine for a bull, one-third of a hin for a ram, one-fourth of a hin for a lamb. This is the burnt offering for each month throughout the months of the year. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering to the Lord shall be offered besides the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. Um, you know, one of the things that commonly uh, comes up in a lot of these offerings is the, the offering of the wine, the, the, the drink offering that's being poured out. And we live in such a drunk culture that, you know, the church is often like, well, you know, wine and Jesus drank. And what about all this wine? Well, you know, wine in this day and wine in Jesus' time was three parts water, one part wine. So that's why they arrive, Acts chapter 2, and they're speaking in tongues, and they say, these men are drunk. And Peter says, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. How could we possibly be drunk? And everybody goes, oh, right. Meaning the table wine being one-fourth part wine, you'd have to be pounding that to you. In order to get drunk, none of this has that sense of, you know, party and wine and drunkenness like our culture is engaged in. Drunkenness has always been forbidden in the nation of Israel, especially within the religion of Israel. So it's it's not something that the Scripture promotes, and we shouldn't confuse that. The drink offering, you know, that's being poured out has wine in it, but it's it's not like our culture. Today, so obsessed with intoxication, it's ridiculous. So, gallons of wine are involved in this, and all of these offerings that are made. In verse 16, on the 14th day of the first month is the Passover of the Lord. So, the Passover, you know, accompanied um, in two parts as they make the sacrifice and then have the feast. So, uh, the you know, Jesus Christ having. Uh, the Last Supper the night before, and then his sacrifice the following day. It's reflected here. On the 15th day of this month is the feast. Unleavened bread shall be eaten for seven days. On the first day you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work, and you shall present an offering made by fire as a burnt offering to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram. Seven lambs in their first year, be sure they are without blemish, right? Because Jesus Christ was without blemish, uh, without spot or blemish. The idea of there was no birth defect, nothing uh, within Jesus, nothing within the lamb that was reflective of the sin nature. We're born in sin. We're born corrupt. Uh, this culture that 
looks to and relies upon psychology so heavily has developed this false mindset that you know human beings are basically good that children are born basically good i've given that foolish illustration enough times you've hung out with little kids they, they can be sinful little tyrants you give them the opportunity and they will turn beet red and scream mine and shake all over and just frighten you with the anger and the aggression toward you and towards others their sinful nature can be plainly seen astonishing how young they will lie to you you know what i'm saying i mean bold face lie you know chocolate chip cookie all over their face you know they may have one in their hand and they'll tell you that they haven't been in the cookies you know or they may then blame it on you right they'll go even that far with the lies and the manipulation one i've had no cookies and two the one i have in my hand is for you you know i got this for you i know how much you enjoy them and i've brought this to you uh, it, it's amazing the, the degree to which sin is in our heart from birth, okay? Jesus was born without that. There was no spot within him. There was no blemish, nothing that, that developed over time. This is the debate, right? Nature or nurture. We see someone who's, you know, sinful, and they go, oh, was he born that way, or did something happen to him along the way that, you know, molded him and shaped him and caused him to be like this? Neither one of those things happened with Jesus. Without spot or blemish nothing that came to him by nature nothing that developed in him over time so these that are to be brought think about the conversation that just went on between the lord and moses you're not going into the promised land why because i told you to speak to the rock the second time and instead you struck the rock you misrepresented me therefore you will not enter into my promised land okay not an image of death. You shouldn't look at that as though, oh, I'm not going to make it into heaven. I've failed. I've sinned. I've misrepresented the Lord. Okay. The, the promised land is the victorious life of the believer. They cross over the Jordan and they conquer their enemies and they take possession of the land. I hope we don't get to heaven and have to conquer enemies. You know what I'm saying? It's not the image of our eternity. Our eternity with the Lord is rest. Okay. Uh, Moses is seen right on the Mount of Transfiguration speaking to Jesus about his coming death he's in eternity with the Lord he, he made it across the finish line how are you going to make it across the finish line by the grace of God that's how we're going to make it every single one of us it's how Moses made it it's how we're going to make it well, what we see in the symbol that the Lord painted with Moses is in the compromise of our behavior, we will be defeated spiritually. That's Moses. That's what he did. That's what we each do. We have areas of victory. We have areas of defeat. Pray to God that the areas of defeat become more and more diminished with every passing day. And the areas of victory become greater and greater in Christ with every passing day. Here the reflection of Jesus is the lamb without blemish. No spot, no blemish in him. Their grain offering shall be, verse 20, of fine flour mixed with oil. Three-tenths of an ephah you shall offer for the bull and two-tenths for a ram. You shall offer one-tenth of an ephah for each of the seven lambs, also one goat 
as a sin offering to make atonement for you. And there's that term, at-one-ment. The Lord recognized the fracture, the schism that had occurred between Adam and Eve and himself, between the human race and himself. And he has been trying to restore that since the Garden of Eden to repair his relationship with his creation. And these sacrifices are part of that. They make at one human beings in their relationship with God. You shall offer these beside the burnt offering of the morning, which is for a regular burnt offering. In this manner, you shall offer the food of the offering made by fire for seven days as a sweet aroma to the Lord. This is the Passover observation. It shall be offered beside the regular burnt offering and its drink offering. And on the seventh day, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. Uh, we're going to hear over and over again in Leviticus, in Numbers, in the book of Deuteronomy, how the Lord wants these people to unplug from their lives, to worship in celebration of him, and to be in fellowship with one another. That their hearts and minds would be continuously realigned with the God that they worship. Uh, this thing that's going on right now with COVID-19 and the separation of the body of Christ is so incredibly evil. You know, people are looking at it like, no, it's a it's not a necessary thing. It's not. Okay, I, I understand the illness having had it. Okay, having had it passed through my, my 83-year-old mother had it. I recognize how severe it is. I know of people who have died that are relatively close to me that have suffered this. We get the severity of the thing. You must understand the severity of the body of Christ and the necessity to be together. The necessity to be in fellowship with the body of Christ. You know, I mean, it's not going to stop here, you guys. I mean, I, I hope you understand that, right? You see the headline uh, yesterday that the Russians have finally announced that back in December, the first case of bird flu transmitted from birds to human beings was documented by them. And in not one case, they had an outbreak. Okay, avian flu, uh, the most deadly of influenza virus transmitted from birds to the human race. We'll see, right? I mean, you know, there's always the, the panic button people that want to freak out, run around in a circle, set their head on fire. You, you trust the Lord. You know, I just reading a piece of satire yesterday uh, where the guy is saying, that, you know, there's a whole bunch of foolish Christians out there that think God designed our bodies with an immune system. The ability for your body to receive invasion, to compensate for it, and to overcome it. Uh, the, the idea that we're going to you know, have all of this social distancing and quarantining and wearing a mask is somehow going to stop airborne virus. It's not going to happen. The necessity of being together as Christians. I, 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 you've heard me point this out. Watch for it if you haven't taken notice of it yourself. I, I smile at people all the time. You know, my somber expression might not lead you to think that, but I do. 
I'm out in public. I see people, you know, just a little nod, just the hello, the smile. Uh, you can tell that people don't understand. You've got the mask over your expression, and all they've got in their heart is fear. Right? You know, stopped in last night to pick up a item for my wife, and uh, I don't think about this the way that other people do. I don't live a life in fear. And uh, the third time someone lurched away from me, I realized <laughs> I'm not being respectful of the six-foot barrier. You know, I just come in and want to get to that item, and so I walk right in and, whoosh, you know, people are moving away. Fear. Our culture is being ingrained with this attitude of fear. I mean, I want to be respectful of that. I don't want to startle people or cause them to worry or have concern, but we need to find ways to get past that. And, you know, you got to open your mouth and speak to people and say things to them. A young man where I was uh, doing that shopping last night was wearing a face mask with the pine tree on it and the blue star, you know, the, the, the uh, flag of George Washington. And I asked him, hey, do you know what that is about? And he was like, yeah, you know, and he, he had a limited understanding. And I said, oh, no, you need the rest of the story. You know, if you've seen that white flag with the green pine tree on it and the blue star, originally it said an appeal to heaven at the top of it. And what was going on was the king of England had said that all of the white pine trees of Maine, particularly, that were over 12 inches in diameter, belonged to him for the masts of his ships. And we were right at the cusp of the Revolutionary War, and George Washington said no. And they harvested those trees to build their nine Corsair battleships to go to war against the King of England. And the masts were all made from white pines right here from this region. And that green flag or that green pine tree represents those white pines that they defied the king over. And the star represents heaven, God himself. And the statement that was originally on the top of the flag and appealed to heaven was to say when the leadership that you are under has come to the place where they are no longer obeying God and they are living as tyrants over you, all you are left with is to go battle against them and appeal to heaven that whoever is righteous would be the victor when you were done. It's interesting to me to see Susan Collins wearing that. Wonder to what degree they understand. You know, they, they, they literally put a mandate out. If you owned land, you weren't allowed to harvest your own land until the king's surveyors had come in. And if they found any of those white pines on your property that were larger than 12 inches in diameter, they would mark them as belonging to the king. And then you could go through and harvest, but you couldn't touch any of those trees because they belonged to the king for his ships and his masts. Interesting concept of of where we are at. Our culture and the people around us need to hear from us. They need to hear the truth 
of where they are at. They need to be given you know, God's ability of clarity and understanding and choice. This necessity of God's people unplugging from their lives, coming together, gathering, being taught, learning the Word of God, understanding these precepts, living by them. Very necessary even in our culture today. Do no customary work, worship the Lord. Verse 26, <clears throat> the Feast of Weeks. Also on the day of first fruits, when you bring a new grain offering to the Lord at the Feast of Weeks, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. So you have the Passover, now the Feast of Weeks that is occurring here. They bring in the grain. And, um, you know, when we read that they bring in uh, the, the first of their harvest, uh, we shouldn't think of that as just like the first portion. Uh, again, the cost associated with their worshiping the Lord this way, they were to go through their fields and find where is the choice grain? Where has the grain had the best water supply, the ideal sunlight? the best soil and yielded the best fruit. If you've got, you know, a hundred acres, then 10 of those belong to the Lord. You need to take that out for him. And it needs to be from the best of what you have to offer. And that's what was to be given to the Lord. So they had, they had, it isn't just, okay, let's start on this corner of the field and we'll take this portion out. And that's the first of the harvest. And so we'll take it to the Lord. It's the best of the harvest was to be given to the Lord. That's what, that's what it means is the first. That which would win first prize, we might say. The, the choice element of that is to be given to the Lord. Now think about uh, the Pentecost and Peter there preaching to the crowd. And 3,000 of them come to the Lord in that first day. So as they're there worshiping the Lord, the harvest comes in and those people become, think about how that works, right? Because they're from all over the world or, or the known world at that time. They're in Jerusalem to worship. They receive the gospel, become believers, and then they go home, right? That grain, that seed is dispersed throughout that whole, especially Middle Eastern region, but even all around the Mediterranean, across the top of the African continent and all the way back through to Europe. The Jewish believers there, think about you know Timothy and others who Paul goes out on his journey and they find Jewish people along the way who are married uh, to Greeks who are believers and they've brought the gospel to their communities. The first of the harvest there with Peter uh, distributing later uh Peter and Paul and James uh, refer to Christianity as the diaspora, the scattering of seed, uh, the grain that's coming in here, symbolizing that. The holy convocation, you shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Two young bulls, one ram, seven lambs in their first year with their grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah, for each bull, two-tenths for one ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs, also one kid of the goats, to make atonement for you. Be sure they are without blemish. You shall present them 
with their drink offerings beside the regular burnt offerings with its grain. Again, tremendous cost to the people to be engaged in the worship of the Lord. Verse 20 or verse 1 of chapter 29, in the seventh month, on the first day of the month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. For you, it is a day of blowing trumpets. You shall offer a burnt offering as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One young bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish. Their grain offering shall be fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for the ram, and one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats is a sin offering to make atonement for you, besides the burnt offering with its grain offering for the new moon, the regular offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings according to their ordinance as a sweet aroma, as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Uh, very extensive uh, explanations and detailed offerings. Uh, the new moons now mentioned, it's really unfortunate that you get to the book of Isaiah and the Lord says that their, their new moon worship, where they come together to worship the Lord at the occurrence of the new moon, uh, makes him sick to the point of vomiting. They, they are, the Lord is disgusted by their coming together. Why? Because they're all living in sin. They're living in sin, worshiping other idols, and yet still observing their observations to the Lord. They're still coming together for these occasions of worship. And the Lord says that he's disgusted by it. Attendance of church simply to ease the conscience. That's, that's all they were doing. There, there's no uh, real uh, you know, um, change of heart, no real sincerity in their behavior. And when you get to the New Testament, Colossians chapter 2, Paul has to rebuke uh, the believers at that point over their new moons and their Sabbaths because uh, there are people, particularly from uh, Gentile uh, communities, who are now believers who aren't observing these things because they're not Jewish. And those people who are Jewish are putting tremendous pressure on the Gentiles to participate in these things. And Paul says... Don't let anyone judge you in new moons or Sabbaths or he goes through a length of associated things. And he gets to the end of chapter 2 and says, because you know, all of these things are false humility. They are self-imposed religion. And they don't do anything to help combat the appetites of your flesh. You compare those three elements, the Lord's establishment, of these new moon days of worship, uh, Isaiah, where the Lord says he's disgusted by it, and the New Testament that says none of that is going to help you draw closer to the Lord. Uh, what do you do with all of it? It's an image of Jesus Christ's fulfillment of all things, and certainly we honor that in coming together on days like today, the day of the Lord. You know, take for instance, right, we worship on Sunday because the church referred to it, Paul referred to it, Peter referred to it as the day of the Lord, and the church worshiped on the day of the Lord, not the Sabbath. 
And now we have people within Christianity that want to insist you have to go to church on Saturday. It doesn't make us any closer to the Lord. Uh, we can all sit here and go, yeah, all right, that's right. I agree with that. Remember that when your heart starts to trick you into thinking that somehow you're going to observe some religious thing and it's going to make you more spiritual. We, we all, in our humanness, have a tendency to think that because we have participated in some certain event that we are more holy. Uh, I, I've watched many people who go away to every single Christian conference they go to. You know, you get the, you know, women in action program, you got the men of challenge, you got promise keepers, you got all these different things. And they go, 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 go to all these conferences and, and their life is unchanged. I mean, if you live a changed life and you go and attend those conferences, those holy convocations, those occasions of special worship, if your life has been changed by Jesus Christ and you go to those things, praise God. But, but if we're just going to create some kind of sense that we're ultra-Christian because we, you know, everybody else, but I went, Therefore, I must be a better Christian. As It doesn't change us. The Lord is offended by these things. Let's make sure that whatever observation we're involved in is from a sincerity of heart. Verse 7, on the tenth day of this seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall afflict your souls. As in a matter of what we see in other cultures where they would like whip themselves. This is the idea of you know fasting. You shall not do any work. You shall present a burnt offering to the Lord as a sweet aroma. One young bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year. Be sure that they are without blemish. Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an ephah for the bull, two-tenths for one ram, one-tenth for each of the seven lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering beside the sin offering for atonement, the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and their drink offerings. So in, on this occasion, it said, you know, afflict your souls. It's a command from the scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, fasting. It, it's something that all of us should be doing in one sense or another. Now, I know... You know, many of us uh, have different circumstances where it would be challenging, if not impossible, to go without food. You know, medications we're taking or, you know, uh, diabetes restrictions or, or, or who knows what. But there's so much we can fast from in our culture. One of the things, even, you know, I often will say the Internet, but, you know, the you know, the jobs sometimes make it impossible to do that. But how about entertainment? You know, don't, don't watch the movie. Don't play the game. Don't, you know, do any of that entertaining stuff for a period of time. 24 hours, three days, a week. Shut those things off from your life. You know, do no customary work. You know, those, those things that we uh, are, you know, our flesh is appealed to. Avoid those. We can fast. We really should fast. It isn't, you know, so much a thing that uh, uh, is suggested. Jesus 
himself even said, when you fast, right? <laughs> Not if you fast, you know, if you wanted to fast. He's saying when you fast. Uh, then, uh, you know, don't look like you're going through some torturous event. Wash your face. And he said, you know, put oil on your head, meaning, you know, do your daily grooming. There is, uh, you know, sort of a thing. I remember uh, years ago when guys in the program were fasting, they'd be sure to let everybody know. You know they just were working with uh, drug addicts, CRD, and they, they'd want to make a very somber approach of, oh, I, I can't participate in that. I'm, I'm fasting today. You know, wanting everyone to know <clears throat> how deeply spiritual we are. We, we want to make sure people are aware of it. Go without things for the purpose of afflicting your soul, not for the purpose of being recognized as more spiritual than everyone else in your environment. You'll be surprised what you learn in the process. <clears throat> Very first fast, I know I've described this to some of you many times. The very first time I fasted, I was, you know, very young in the Lord, newly committed, came to understand the necessity and decided I was going 24 hours without food. Hadn't really calculated the thought that I work at a grocery store at the time, but, you know, just added to the challenge, I suppose. So doing the 11 to 7 shift, get out of work. Start my fast. I'm going to wrap the clock around, finish my shift. And when I get out at 7 a.m. the next day, I'm going to break my fast with some of my friends. And uh, wow, I, I was really startled at the whole appetite of my flesh and the things that were being exposed. What really scared me was uh, at lunch break, I didn't bring any lunch with me, and I'm going to fast. I'm standing at this desktop where we were working in a warehouse doing receiving, and uh, I'm standing at this desk desktop, and I'm talking to my coworker who's having his lunch, and I'm drinking a little bit of water, and I suddenly become very startled over the fact that I've got food in my mouth. And now I'm spitting the food out in the trash can and I'm having this emotional meltdown and reaction. And I realized that my coworker was looking at me very strange because it's his food that I'm eating. And uh, I mean, it had only been a matter of months, maybe a year since I had stopped doing drugs. So I was even more strange at that time than I am now, but. I started to explain to him that I was fasting and that all just sounded very weird to him. I ended up, you guys, literally running out of the room in mid-explanation and hiding because I was so frightened of myself. It was as though my body distracted my mind and reached down and took those, you know, he's got cheese and crackers out of like a vending machine and just put them in my mouth without even communicating with my brain. And now I'm eating this food. I was startled to realize how powerful my flesh was, is the point. That my flesh, when I, I suddenly now I'm reading every passage that talks about the fact that the, the flesh has its own will. 
the flesh has its own mind, right? The flesh has its own motivations. You know, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's capable of performing surgery and dividing between bone and marrow. Okay, think about how strong that blade would have to be and how precise it would have to be to cut between bone and the marrow of the bone, which it's capable of discerning between, not discerning the thoughts and the intents, discerning between, the difference between the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Your heart has intentions that aren't even connected to your thoughts. How strange is that? Right? When Jeremiah says, the heart is desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, who can know it? There's a very serious challenge within that. Fasting is something that will teach you about your flesh. Right? You deny the flesh, don't participate in the things of the flesh, and you will become more distant from the world. You pray and seek the Lord, and you will draw closer to your Heavenly Father. Isn't that what we're all desiring? To pull away from the world and get closer to God? Fasting is a thing that very much does that. So consider uh, what it might be that the Lord is speaking to you about in the fasting and the afflicting of your soul. In verse 12, on the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall do no customary work. You shall keep a fast to the Lord seven days. You shall present a burnt offering, <laughs> an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. Thirteen young bulls. Excuse me. Two rams, 14 lambs in the first year. They shall be without blemish. You get the impression the Lord wants these without blemish, huh? Their grain offering shall be of fine flour mixed with oil. Three tenths of an ephah for each of the 13 bulls. Two tenths for each of the two rams. One tenth for each of the 14 lambs. Also, one kid of the goats as a sin offering besides the regular burnt offering. It's grain offering. And it's drink offering. So above everything else you're doing, incorporate these. On the second day, present 12 young bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goats has a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering for its grain offering, and the drink offering. On the third day, present 11 bulls, two rams, 14 lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs, for, excuse me, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. On the fourth day, present ten bulls, two rams, fourteen lambs in the first year without blemish, their grain offerings, their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one kid of the goat as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Ready? On the fifth day, present nine bulls. You see in the decrease here, two rams, fourteen lambs there uh, of, in their first year without blemish, the grain offering, their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their numbers, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat 
as a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, first year without blemish, the grain offering, the drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by the number, according to the ordinance, also one goat is a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. I bet you know where we're going next. Seventh day, present seven bulls, two rams, 14 lambs, the first year without blemish, and the grain offering, their drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance, also one goat is a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a sacred assembly. You shall do no customary work. You shall present a burnt offering, an offering made by fire as a sweet aroma to the Lord. One bull, one ram, seven lambs in their first year without blemish, and their grain offering and their drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, by their number, according to the ordinance. Also, one goat is a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering, its grain offering, and its drink offering. Thus, you shall present to the Lord at your appointed feast, besides your vowed offerings and your free will offerings, as your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, as your drink offerings and your peace offerings. So Moses told the children of Israel everything as the Lord commanded Moses. So interesting to me that this is all in preparation for entering the land. Like we talked about the daughters of Zelophehad, right? They come and their complaint is, hey, we're going to get into the land and we're going to divide up the land and our family inheritance is going to fall to somebody else. So the Lord makes provision for them to receive what is theirs. And now the Lord is saying, when you enter the land, remember that this is how the offerings are supposed to occur. With, within this, what we're hearing is, I am going to give you the land. You are going to enter, you are going to set up the tabernacle, and you are going to worship in this method. Make sure, make sure that you don't treat the entrance into that land as though when we were in the wilderness, we did all of these things. But now that we're in the land, we're settled and we're comfortable and they're not as necessary. There's something that happens when we get comfortable that's really detrimental to our faith. Uh, you know, as difficult and as hard and as wrong as things are right now in our culture, they are compelling people to a sincerity of faith. I want you, many of you, remember, right, the church services that occurred on 9-11, right? Packed, wall to wall, no standing room only, right? People standing outside, listening in the doors and windows, how many weeks was it before many of them were gone? Right? How many were there a month later? It hasn't been that many years, right? Where are they today? The same satanic attack that came upon our country in 9-11 is happening right now. And the churches are empty. They're empty. It is the sincere 
and the hardened Christians who are standing up right now. People have come to the place in just a very short period of time where they have forgotten. They have forgotten the Lord. They have forsaken worship. It needs to be that the difficulties we're facing right now would compel us towards the Lord. That, that we, as a people, those of us in the room, those of us watching online, would be on our face, be on our knees before the Lord, be sincere about our daily offerings made to the Lord. There are, there are offerings that are required of us in the New Testament. Prayer, worship, right? The sacrifice of our lips, Hebrews says. Our daily worship, morning and evening, these things were to be offered. On the regular convocations, when they were to set days aside, they were found worshiping the Lord. I pray to God that it would be for every one of us that we were in the depth of our relationship with God. That the commitments it takes, the hardships that we have to go through, that we would endure them in order to worship and serve our master. Here's the thing, you guys, whether you're recognizing it or not right now, the, the great falling away of the faith that is occurring right now, the few of us that are staying, remaining, enduring in this are going to be ministering to a lot of these people. They're going to they're gonna find themselves in spiritual need. And what we are receiving, what we are being fed, we're going to have to take to the Lord. These people dedicating themselves to this worship, <clears throat> this great degree of sacrifice that they're making, the investment they're making in coming together and worshiping the Lord in this way. They're going to take what they've received from these occasions back to those people and minister to them. You've, you've got to know that this wasn't just about animal sacrifice. That as they're together, as they're experiencing these things, as they're learning of the Lord, as they are refreshing their memory, as they're singing the songs of celebration, as they're praying and fasting, their hearts and their minds and their lives are being affected. And as they are, they go out into the world and they minister to people. They take that worship back into the life that they are experiencing. Just, just the fact, just the fact that you are not overwhelmed with fear. It's astonishing to me how, how our culture is overwhelmed with fear. Uh, you know, have you been shouted at yet for not wearing your mask? You know? I'm not talking in a place that would be dangerous, right? You just come out of the store and take your mask off because you're going to your car. And people are saying junk to you. Just because, you know, it's funny. Because they'll speak to my wife or my daughter, but they don't speak to me anywhere near as frequently. Which shows me how cowardice they are. Right? If you were truly bold, why wouldn't you say something to me? Why wouldn't you say, no, because somehow you view uh, that there's a threat there. So you, so you only attack the vulnerable? 
those that you, you in your perception you'll be able to overcome. That's what the predators always do, right? They attack the weak. We, we need to take the worship that we're experiencing, you guys, and the heart that has been changed by it, and we need to go minister to the world around us. The, this time of worship that we're taking, the investment that we're making. It's a, right now, it's a big investment, isn't it? You know, I, I don't know if you're thinking about it. Every time you come here, you, you are in total violation of the laws of our land, the ordinance of our governor. The gathering together of the people. Oh, we're exceeding the numbers. We're violating all the mandates. You know, some of you right now are like, dude, you're on Facebook. Stop. This, this is what we've signed up for. This, this is our God-given right to come together and worship. The same as it is for these people. This is their God-given right. Think about where this all started for them. Right? I'm not just trying to pile on to this program right where did this all start right in pharaoh's throne room what what was the argument there you've got to let us leave so that we can go and offer sacrifice and worship our god that's where the confrontation started with moses and pharaoh and it grew in intensity through the 10 plagues until all right you know what get out and now they've come full circle to the lord is saying you make sure that you continue this even as you enter into the promised land and the ease that I'm about to provide you with. The comforts and the provision that I'm about to give you, you make sure you continue. It can't just be that back there when you were under the affliction and the actual physical whip upon your backs as slaves in Egypt, as we were in a toe-to-toe -to -toe confrontation, as, as we were going to court against the leaders of the land, it can't be just there. You've been through all the trials personally. You've come to this place and you're about to enter into the restful promises of what I'm providing for you. Don't forget to continue by the ordinance, right? By the ordinance. How many times did it say that? You know, according to the ordinance, according to the ordinance, that which was written, that's what was spoken to Moses and recorded for them. They need to be careful to do. Pray to God we would be people who studied his word, and we were careful to obey what the Lord had called us to. Amen? Amen. Well, we'll pick up at chapter 30 next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray? Father, I thank you for your love, your graciousness, your spirit. It would be impossible for us to follow and obey these things, Lord, if it wasn't for your spirit. You changing us from the inside out. Lord, fill our hearts with your love. Help us to minister to people. Lord, for some of us, it's very easy to be confrontational. Very easy to talk back, be rebellious. Lord, I pray that wouldn't be our character, our behavior at all. That we would live lives that were free and unencumbered by the slavery that our country is falling into, but that we would do it with compassion and love, that we would do it with sincerity of heart and a genuineness that ministered to people. 
minister to us that we would minister to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.